Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood and welcome to Faith and Family. Want to thank you for joining us today as we launch a brand new series of broadcasts entitled The Holy Spirit and the Transformation of Your Child's Heart. What I'm going to do is give you in a real quick one, two, three, what this entire series is going to be about and what its aims are. So I'm going to start right off the bat. Number one, we have a crisis in our culture. Uh, Recently, Pat Buchanan said, America's popular culture is a running sewer. And I agree with him. And remember, as that sewer begins to drain filth that's going through our society and evil acts and deeds and, in fact, things that the Bible calls abominations, that force wants to draw your child down. And the key is during their childhood, this is number two, you need to build within them a strong faith because a number of things may appear to work well as you're bringing up your child through the early years, but then all kinds of struggles can occur during the teen years, the 20s, and now even into the 30s. And so while your child is still young, the need is to build a strong faith into his or her heart, to have a vibrant personal relationship with Christ. And so Number one, the crisis in our culture, America's popular culture is a running sewer. The need in living in such a culture is to have a strong faith. And then number three, this is the biggie, well, what's the solution? What is the solution for building a strong faith? What is the solution for having a vibrant personal relation with Christ? What is the solution to the spiritual formation of a child so that when he or she hits the teens or 20s, they remain faithful to Christ and his church? That solution, in two words, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, and particularly the Holy Spirit, bringing a deep and profound assurance of God the Father's love for them that was given as a gift to them as a result of Christ's sacrifice. If there's one verse that's going to summarize this entire series, it comes from Paul's epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, and it's really important to remember as Roman Catholics today that this epistle of Paul to the Romans, he was writing to the very first Roman Catholics. And this is what he said in Romans chapter 5 and verse 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And you're going to hear me talk about that verse quite a bit. And I don't want you to go, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. No, this has to be a living reality if you're a parent today. This has to be a living reality if you're a catechist today. 
of any type of parish ministry today, the living reality of God's love, which the Holy Spirit brings to the human heart. And if this doesn't come to the very depths of a child's being, they're very prone to wander as they grow up. And I just <laughs> felt moved, I'm a little embarrassed, but describe my experience. Um, I had parents who were uh, very faithful. I grew up in a Protestant home. Uh, my dad was the son of a Protestant clergyman, and we were in Sunday school. We were in church uh, regularly. But I must say that with one exception, I'll describe that exception in a moment, I would describe my childhood religious experience as a Teflon experience. In other words, it didn't stick. It had very little effect on me. And I'm not blaming my church. I'm not blaming my parents. I'm not blaming my Sunday school teachers. I'm just saying it simply didn't stick. And despite years of Sunday school and youth group and going to church and everything, it had very little sticking power with one exception. And I think it had something to do, I'm not sure, but my dad being the son of a minister, my dad was perhaps best friends with our minister, and I knew that. And sons kind of watch their father and form ideas about the church, about God, about ministers from their fathers. And um, in fact, my minister and my dad used to go hunting together, and sometimes I could tag along. And I think when I later became a Protestant minister, one of the reasons I was very open to that was from my dad's experience. But as far as in that classroom, in the sanctuary, it just didn't stick. And now I need to fast forward to the fall of 1970. And I mention this, not because I'm proud to mention this, but in case there are any parents out there with um, older children, and you're a little discouraged and disheartened by, uh, you, you have a prodigal child. Well, I was a prodigal son, your host here on EWTN Radio and Catholic Radio through the United States. I was a prodigal child, and I had dropped out of college, enlisted in the Navy, and I began uh, kind of a serious direction of studying in the New Age movement, believed in reincarnation and all kinds of other things like that. And then finally, by the grace of God, um, not by <laughs> any intent on my part, I found myself reading the Bible. And as I read the Bible, I didn't have this kind of warm, fuzzy assurance that some people get when they first read the Bible. I was slightly scared to death because when I was reading, I had been doing the opposite in my life. As I said, I was a, a very rowdy, prodigal son, tried to outdo my peers in doing wrong, um, laughed at doing, not doing the right, and then all of a sudden started reading some of the very serious things you find in the New Testament about sin, and I realized that I was a sinner. So I knelt down one day 
and gave God a list of things that I have I had done in my life, sins that I had committed, and um, nothing happened. And at the time, I wasn't affiliated with any church. Uh, all my friends were prodigal sons as well. So I, I didn't have any guidance. I didn't know what to do. I kept reading the Bible, and I found more of those places where I had done wrong. I had committed sins, and I thought, well, I, um, I probably just didn't cover all of them. So I made a list of uh, the sins that I had committed and knelt down again and, and, and asked God to forgive me those sins. And um, again, after that, absolutely nothing happened. And then I started to get really concerned because I had come across this passage in the Bible that described this thing until that point in my life I had never really heard of called the unforgivable sin. And in my lack of com complete lack of theological understanding, I thought perhaps I had committed it, and I was very concerned that I had committed it, even though I wasn't exactly sure what it was. I'm just going to pause here a second. If you today are like me, and if you're very concerned that you have committed it, you haven't. It's those who don't care a bit about committing the unforgivable sin who may be in danger of it. So in any case, I came back a third time, got on my knees, and asked God to forgive me. And again, I, this time I had a, a, a real long list, thought I'd covered uh, everything. And after I did that, uh, I look back now, at the time I didn't understand what was happening, but I believe it was the Holy Spirit, because one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. When I got done with my list, the Holy Spirit inside me convicted me of a sin that wasn't even on my list. I didn't think it was any big deal at all. But it was my attitude, um, behavior, lack of gratitude towards my parents. And I didn't think, you know, sins against parents were any big deal because I'd been a pretty rebellious teenager and such like that. And I had this very distinct sense that God took this very seriously. Of course, I've since come to understand that, you know, all Ten Commandments are important, including the one to honor your parents, but I wasn't really operating on that level at that time. And then when I perceived that particularly having good parents and basically giving them back rebellion and ingratitude and such like that, um, that it truly was a sin that I was sorry for, God, you know, didn't let me go. He pressed again and showed me that my precise attitude, my rebellion, and my ingratitude towards my parents was precisely the exact same attitude that at root I had towards God himself. And at that point, I broke because I realized that I truly uh, was unforgivable, that by any human standard that uh, I could have, that if I treated not only my parents this way, but treated God this way, 
forget it. And so I simply asked God to forgive me, even though I thought I was unforgivable. Little did I realize that this is one of the best places in the world to come, because we kind of try to make ourselves presentable to God, and then, at least for me, nothing happened. But when I presented myself to God as, you know, I'm not worthy to be forgiven, well, I went to bed, and it was a very early uh, wake-up call because uh, our ship was going out to sea. It was called the Sea and Anchor Detail, and I was on it. And I would imagine we were awakened somewhere around 4.30 to 5 in the morning, and usually everybody is really grumpy when you have to get up that early and see an anchor detail. And I woke up. It was like uh, I I didn't exactly know what to think, but I I was just experiencing incredible joy. Uh, I felt like Pilgrim in Pilgrim's Progress, who was carrying this heavy weight around on his back, and I knew it was gone. I knew that what I had prayed about, it, it was absolutely gone, and I was forgiven, and, and that God loved me even though I wasn't worthy of, of being loved. And so we went to a very early breakfast. Again, this is probably right about dawn now, and my best friend in the Navy was a guy named Jack who um, Jack was, I guess you would say, a backslidden Christian, but even in his backslidden condition, he was way ahead of me in his uh, Christian adherence. So I came to breakfast, and Jack, you know, he's my best friend. He immediately recognized something is different. And he said, Steve, whatever drug you're on right now, on the basis of our friendship, I'm going to ask you once we get out to sea that you take it and throw it over the side of the ship. <laughs> and I said, I said, Jack, I'm not on any truck. I just said this prayer to Jesus last night, and I don't know what happened, but everything is different. And at that, Jack literally spit out his scrambled eggs all over his metal plate. And I didn't have any theological knowledge. I literally didn't know the difference between New Testament and Old Testament. Didn't know the difference between Christmas and Easter. And here's a young man who had gone to church, you know, all his childhood and everything. All I knew is Christmas had to do with Santa Claus, Easter with the Easter bunny, and somehow Jesus connected the two. I didn't have anything. But I did know this, and it's the most important thing you have to get across to your children, or better yet, have the Holy Spirit get it across. I knew that God loved me. For the first time in my life, the faith stuck, and and it's never moved. This was the defining moment of my entire life, and it wasn't something that um, you know came through a book or a retreat or something. The Holy Spirit, this, this is Romans 5, 5. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. You know, I went on. By the way, you know, just identify who you're listening to here. You're listening to Faith and Family Radio, and I'm your host, Steve Wood. Fast forward a few years, went back to college, got a a degree studying theology, went on to seminary, got another degree. I became a Protestant pastor like my grandfather, 
And it took me about 10 years. I thought everything was very complicated uh, in a certain sense as a young pastor, but it took me 10 years to figure out the number one need of the folks in my Protestant evangelical congregation. It is also the number one need for you and your children to have, and it's simply this, that even though God knows them intimately, even though God knows you intimately, he loves you. That God loves you. And you are your worst enemy because you know you. And most people, after a certain age of accountability, start doing some things called sins that they feel terrible about. They've done some things that maybe no one else knows about, but they know that God can see those things and know those things, and that God, if he really knows me, can't love me. And the, and the idea is he does know you, and he really, really does love you if you turn to him in confession and ask forgiveness through Jesus Christ. Let's fast forward to a few summers ago. I was speaking to a bunch of, uh, uh, actually a wonderful group of uh, Catholic teenagers at a summer camp. And one of the owners of the camp, just before I was about to give a talk, said something that actually hasn't left my mind since then, and it's one of the, uh, what, little sparks that created this entire series on Catholic radio entitled The Holy Spirit and the Transformation of Your Child's Heart. Right before I was about to speak, the owner of this camp had seen all these Catholic teenagers come and go into camp, and she said to me, I wish someone would come here and tell these kids that God loves them. Not because they jump over certain hoops and try to do something religiously good, and those are good things to do, but God loves them because he loves them. And because of that love, the obedience and the good acts and the good deeds and the good works flow out. But she was so concerned that the kids were trying to do these things to somehow earn God's love. Now, I started with Romans 5.5. I told you my experience. I came back to Romans 5.5. Romans 5.5, where the Holy Spirit has been poured into our hearts, not not a, not not an eyedropper, tick, 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 you know, very carefully portioned out. No, poured out in abundance in our hearts. Why? Because God loves us. And God wants to bring us close to him. And in order to come close to God, this he sends the Holy Spirit to assure us, to pour out, to pour into, to overflow his love for us. And this is key. Now, at this point, I know many, both Protestants and Catholics, put up the caution flags. Because for many people, when someone starts talking about the Holy Spirit, they think this is some kind of bad virus you don't want to catch. And I am saying, 
given our cultural situation, given the need of your children, the Holy Spirit is precisely what you want your children to connect. But many voices, again, Protestant and Catholic, they'll say, oh, that's emotionalism, or that's fanaticism, or if they've read Ronald Knox's book, that's enthusiasm, or Pentecostalism, or Montanism. And they may even start slinging some mud on those who are in the charismatic renewal. Don't you know what happened on Azusa Street, in case you didn't know, in 1906? It was the scene of an outbreak of basically modern Pentecostalism uh, in America. And there were some very poor African-Americans uh, rented a, a empty building for $8 a month and began praying. And some people who will treat the Holy Spirit like a virus will say, you know, there were lots of abuses at Azusa Street. You know what? I know there were lots of abuses at Azusa Street. And I'm probably the only person on Catholic Radio who has actually been to 312 Azusa Street, accompanied probably by the world's premier Pentecostal theologian. I know all about the abuses at, on Azusa Street. I know there's people who go into fanatical dimensions with the Holy Spirit, but you know how to create a fanatic? Do you, you simply don't have a dynamic that God intends to be dead center in the Roman Catholic Church. And, and when Paul says, this is what happens to you as a Roman Catholic in Romans 5.5, 5, and we say, no, that's a virus. Well, that's how you create fanatics. That's why you have uneducated people leading a revival and then get into all kinds of abuses because it hasn't found its home where it belongs in the center of the church. Now, there are various forms of very unhealthy enthusiasm, and yet you'll hear warnings about enthusiasm, and that's basically people who have read Ronald Knox's book, Catholics, and will warn against uh, the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and very often these warnings are given in parishes that really, truly, deeply need enthusiasm and lots of it. Because once, and I'm not talking about some shallow emotional experience, I'm talking about the Holy Spirit bringing an overwhelming sense of God's love to the human heart. It's God the Father sharing his love with his children. And along with Romans 5, 5, St. Paul talks about the Holy Spirit again in just a few chapters further along in the Epistle to Romans, chapter 8, and he says in verse 14 of chapter 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if your children have a spontaneous inward love 
even exclamations for the greatness of the love of God the Father, they're going to have sticky faith. They're not going to have the Teflon faith that they're going to lose in the teens or the 20s or in some kind of situation. It will stick because it's at the very deepest portion of their being. And yet, is this the experience of your children coming out of first communion classes or confirmation classes? Uh, Can they say that uh, God is my father? Or are they going through the classes and along with their parents and other family members just blowing off mass altogether? Just going through the classes, going over the hurdles in order to experience the sacrament, and that's that. Respond with nothing, do with nothing, kind of seem to be lifeless. What, what's wrong? What's wrong is that the love of God is to be the center of their heart, and the Holy Spirit is the one that brings them there. So you can say kids today need a lot of things. They do. But the thing that they need in our culture with today's challenges, more than anything else, is the Holy Spirit bringing this vibrant love of God into their hearts. Do they need catechesis? Yes. Do they need apologetics? Absolutely yes. I don't think apologetics are even optional. Do they need moral teaching? Yes, yes, yes. But in order for all of that to stick so that stays with them, so they don't turn from it to the left or to the right. They're not enticed away. It doesn't wear off. They need the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I'm reading from the very opening sections of chapter 3 from the Catechism where it speaks of, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I'm looking at paragraph 684. It says, through his grace, the Holy Spirit is the first to awaken faith in us and to communicate to us the new life, which is to know the Father and the one whom he has sent, Jesus Christ. Now, in weeks ahead, we're going to look into, well, how come the Romans 5 experience isn't the normative experience today? It seemed to be that in the first century. What are some ways we can kindle the fire of God's love in our hearts today, both as parents and as catechists with our children? And so that as families, we can rest in the sure knowledge that God loves us through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Till next time, this is Steve Wood. Visit us on the internet at familylifecenter.net. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.